Hello, hello, my God. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday to you, Sussex Squad Nation. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, wow. Happy St. Patrick. Happy belated St. Patrick's. Yes, indeed. Uh-huh. indeed. How was you guys St. Patrick's Day? What did you guys do? Well, for me, I am actually particularly fond of corned beef. And so I didn't just eat it on St. Patrick's Day, but really the week leading up to St. Patrick's Day. So it was very nice. Mm, nice. What about you, Charles? Uh, just work. Just work. Work, 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 work. work. I think I'm going to give everyone the impression I'm like 300 pounds or something. Because all I do is talk about food. <laughs> no, you're not. Uh, you're not 300 pounds. And if you was 300 pounds, Working that would have been okay as well. Too. Working on it. But... You are looking good. Um. Wow. Okay. So another week. Like I'm just like, don't know where to start, how to begin. Well, you missed St. Patrick. What was the, he famous for? <laughs> the snake. Yeah, driving out the snake. Snakes. Oh my God. So who is the snake? I think everybody knows who the snake is. So we're not going to say it. Everyone knows. They've, that been, woman po- they've been putting it in the comments. Still, yep, they've been putting it in the comments. We still try to figure out who she is. And all I'm saying is, She's if it's an snake. Irish thing, it's probably a redheaded, so we know who our favorite redhead is. So oh my there's, the, there's the connection. Well, what about you, Charles? What are you saying? What do you have to say? You know, a lot of people have been saying that you're a little bit too quiet. They would Me? like to hear of you. I'm just um, introspective. Mm. That's what it is. He's more yeah. careful with his words than, than the rest of us. There you go. <laughs> so, and, no, just in terms, I mean... I know you say not to say it, but I think to your point, I think we've we have two full episodes on who the snake is. So, <laughs> oh my I think goodness, we're fairly, fairly oh, certain. Oh my god, wow! But anyway, guys, um, where do we begin today? Uh, I guess I suppose we should start talking about what our girls is doing, taking um, what the enemy. Meant for evil, turn it for good. So what is going on? So she's actually been very busy this week. So there's a lot kind of happening. Uh, it's not that she's done all of these things this week, but there's certainly a lot that's kind of just dropped this week. Mm-hmm. So first, just as a quick update, uh, I know that I had mentioned last week about the Harvest Home. So if you happen to remember, it's actually this really nice charity that she actually went to uh, for International Women's Day. And the whole idea behind this charity is that it actually helps homeless women who happen to be pregnant, uh, give them the services and, and support that they need in order to kind of help take care of themselves and their baby. So um, what actually uh, they've decided to do ever since that, because obviously they've been getting a lot of love, is they've actually set up an Amazon link. So if you want to, you can actually go and help donate items to this particular charity. And the list is actually you know pretty cool because you can just go on Amazon. We'll actually have it in the comments. Uh, and what you can do is you can actually just buy the items that they need most because it's kind of like a gift list for them. So you can just go and do that and then, you know, support them uh, and you probably and you really should because it's a really it's a really good worthwhile call. I actually have not yet looking at it I, I mean I think I take a glimpse of it but you guys know how I love baby stuff <laughs> hopefully one day I have one of my own I can't wait to go in there and start getting some stuff I probably go a little bit crazy just because I love baby stuff yeah, it's really it's really sweet, and I mean, obviously, just really, it's um, they really kept it to the essentials. So it's like diapers and formula. Oh, I think I want to do more things. than that. So, but yeah, so it's it's really it's really nice. 
Uh, the next thing that's going on is actually uh, she's actually mentioned and she has a contribution to a new cookbook that's out mm-hmm. by our favorite guy by that's Jose right. Andres, yeah. uh, the World Kitchen Cookbook. So it's pretty sweet. Uh, is it out yet? Do anybody knows? Because I would like to order it because, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if it's out Actually, um, I know that George is furiously typing on his keyboard, so he'll be able to tell us in just a moment. Um, but it is coming out very soon, and apparently she's contributed a recipe specifically. Uh, it doesn't sound very tasty to me, wow. but that's just me. <laughs> what do you mean does it sound tasty to you? I'm sure it's Anything lovely. Anything our princess has done is tasty. I'm sure it's lovely. That. She's a great cook. But the description of the particular item... Um, just doesn't necessarily tickle my taste buds. It's actually a lemon olive oil cake. You don't like lemon cake? I didn't say I don't like lemon cake. I don't what know if I like olive oil you? in my cake. Olive oil. That's what I said. See, you don't right. want, you don't even want to say anything. See, have you ever saying. had it? I I have not. So how could you know that you don't like it? I haven't had eggs either, but I know I hate them. Oh my goodness! But it's anyway. just one of those things. Well, I think you'll love it. Okay, I do like lemon cake. I will say that. My guess is it's probably like a regular lemon cake, but maybe just with olive oil instead of butter. Again, here I go making everyone think I'm 300 pounds, but that's just my (laughs) guess. It's just a guess. I don't know. But is that good, though? It's probably healthier. Is that a good swap? Butter for olive oil? Yeah, olive oil is more healthy than... No, I know olive oil is more healthy. Well, you have olive oil almost every day from what I understand in your food. Yeah, no, and that's fine. It's just not in a cake. But anyway, we're talking way you too know much what? about this cake. The Scratch Nation is going to get at let's, you. Let's move on. Because move the on fact the that you say you don't think you'll like it before you taste it, you know what? Get out of him, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm it giving is avail- you guys full it is, permissions. It is available for pre-order now, just just to say. There you go. Oh, so is it? The book, okay. the he means the book, not the cake. Is <laughs> it at Amazon or is it <laughs> elsewhere? By the way, we are not sponsored by Amazon. Just to no, we're not. Clear, we've been talking I mean, I, I, to be honest, one of the things that, you know, our boys, you know, sort of bearing, and it's, it's, a, it's a reminder that, you know, we should always think about not just supporting the, those, those big people, but at least we should The mom also, and pops and stuff, is that what you're talking about? I think it's important as, as opposed well to the too. conglomerates. And yeah. I, you can't get any bigger. I mean, we should not tell. At this point. No, no, no. We should not tell anyone, you know, where they can and cannot buy their books. No, but what I'm just saying is, is that, you know, I think it's a good idea to, uh, you know, sort of, you know, no, it's keeping it in mind. You know, no, it's keeping it in mind. For that, sure. But people should go and buy the books wherever they feel comfortable or they want to. That's on them. Right. So what else? The going next on? thing is uh, she also has been quoted. It's a very lovely quote. Um, I'm not familiar with this particular organization, but it's called um, APAPA, which is the uh, Asian Pacific Islander American Public Affairs Office. Uh Uh, And the quote is, uh, women don't need to find a voice. They have a voice. Mm. And they need to feel empowered to use it. Mm -hmm. And people need to be encouraged to listen. Oh, my God. That was the first quote that, you know, she stated when they had the appearance with the so-called Fab Four. And it's from that moment, I believe, that, you know, they know who they were dealing with and they wasn't going to have it. And because she was very clear, she was very determined, and she was very smart and very confident when she made that statement, you know, um, with the Fab Four. Um, I think that was before her wedding. Well, yeah, they yeah, didn't. They, I think that's they when used to she call them that before they got married, and then yeah, I think that was the, one of their quickly. first appearances, and so they had a panel, and yeah, so that's when she made that quote. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. Yeah, uh, and then 
last but not least, for sure, she has her own book that's coming out called The Bench. No, it's not a it's not it's not a new book. Oh, it she she has the book. I think it came out last year, I believe. No, 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 that was during um, oh my god, during uh, the vid. No, 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 no. That was for Archie. Archie was a baby, right? And so she wrote that book, and you know the book was, I believe, was number one everywhere. You know, sort of. I think it was, and then it's now been published in very different language, different. Countries. Oh, Romania. And that's yeah, right. now Romania. That's right. So now it's being published in Romania. That's what I meant. That's right. So all you Romanians go crazy. So the just to, just for clarity uh, and you know thoroughness. Uh, the Bench actually is a beautiful is a book that she obviously wrote, and yeah. it beautifully captures the special relationship between father and son mm-hmm. as seen through a mother's eyes. Yeah, because I so think that's kind of the. Uh, what, I think what she said it. was she was looking at um, Harry with um, Archie, you know, sitting on the bench, and so that was her. You know, I believe it was a poem that turned into a book. Yeah. Really? So, should we get the service started? Almost ready. Almost, Almost ready. Okay. There's one more important thing to do, and that is, as always, our disclaimer is that this is our church service, and this is uh, us sharing these beliefs that we hold sincerely. Um, but we also feel very sincerely about the fact that it's not our place to convince anyone to change their mind. We're not telling you to change your religion. We're not ch- telling you to change your beliefs. We're not telling you to do to anything, believe in what really we believe. actually the only thing we're encouraging you to do is to ask questions and to and to think and to and to question assumptions really and um, of course we we also not i mean we're not expert i will say right certainly not experts and that is a that is especially important today given what we're about to get into with some of our words which i'm very excited about but yeah. the but last thing is yes so. people people should absolutely do their own research um, but this show, this service, this church service, uh, is really about, uh, these things that we hold to be important and, and it's just really well exemplified by the work that Harry and Megan are doing. Um, so for those who are listening for the first time, I uh, just want to make sure that that's clear. Amen. So let's get the service started. Don't be afraid. We are society. Built on love, built on tolerance. Built on love, each other, acceptance. Give them love, give them love. Don't matter what you look like. Don't matter what you believe, but just believe in love. I'm talking to Philly. I'm talking to London. I'm talking to D.C. Very nice. I love the um, the church bells. I just love it. I always love church bells. Well, guys, um, Sussex Squad Nation, today's service, it's going to be a very interesting one. At least I find it interesting, and I hope you guys find it interesting. By the way, um, is all the mics are up? Because one of the... Um, <clears throat> Feedback that you know we got is is that you know we sound quite low or high. Which one is what? <laughs> quiet. <clears throat> we don't sound high. At least I don't think we sound high. Because I do talk about food a lot. Now you just sound <laughs> hungry. <laughs> okay, the surface just began, guys. So we need to. Okay. All right. <laughs> By the way, on that note, actually, uh, thank you everybody so much for the comments. I think this week was a bit 
especially crazy. Um, there's been a lot going on, and we don't have the time to talk about all of it, but we just want to say that we did see everyone's comments, and we love them, and we yeah, appreciate it's them. it's actually helped us pass the time, at least for me, you know, with all my work and busyness and everything that's going on. So it's like, it's good to just kind of like go someplace else and just read the comments and, and yeah, yeah, it's so good. Please keep them coming. Yes, we all we all very much appreciate it. So let's get the service starting for real. Official. For real. Okay, God is present at the moment. Sussex Squad Nation, Charles and George. Um, I have some brand new words for you guys. And for those of you just now joining us, that will probably for the first time listening to us, um, we start each service by choosing forwards and there's a reason why we do that so would you please tell them why we choose to start the show um each sunday certain words yeah no i think it's actually it's really important and i don't remember exactly which episode it was and which service the first, it was. Yeah, we started it with was, words itself. What the meaning is of words. Exactly. The the mm-hmm. word word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the the thing that's important is that words are important. They matter. And because they're so commonplace and they're the very kind of fabric of how we communicate and relate, we kinda over we can overlook them, we can take them for granted, but the fact is that they really have a lot of power. Uh, the choice of one word over another and all of the connotations and, and the history and the background of given words, what do they really mean and, and the influence that they have on how... Society. Uh, on, yeah, exactly, on how we live, on, on everything. And so a lot of times we feel that if you if you're trying to really understand an, an issue, something that's going on, the first most important thing to do is actually understand what are the relevant words and what do they really mean, because then that allows you to deal with uh, the truth of the matter in its in its fullness. Absolutely. Charles, would you say one of also the reason why it's it's listening, watching the media, had they seems to know exactly what word to use to either provoke or influence certain topic, subject. So what would you say? Well, to your point, the British media, and here in America as well, but specifically in the British media, I mean, they are masters at being able to provoke and entice and capture people's attention with the words that they choose. And I think, you know, there's a very old quote that goes back, and it's a saying, it's an idiom, if you will. It's, um, the pen is mightier than the sword. Mm-hmm. And it's very much true. So to your point, what they do is that they they basically capture your attention and then they shape how you think. That is what words do. That's why propaganda works so well is because it actually shapes the way in which you perceive an issue is how you basically take in those words. So and I think that's why you have to be very, very careful because the words that you use um, do the same. They can be used for good or for evil just depending on the vocabulary that you decide to describe something. So I think one of the reasons why we use the words that we do here is that they also provide clarity in that if you don't go so verbose, because you can also get lost. There's, you know, if you just keep on going, keep on going, keep on going, um, you forget where you started. 
So I think for myself anyway, what the words that we use and the reason why we like to describe them and boil them down to the, the very core essence of what we're going to talk about is because it helps focus on what we feel is most important. And then also to what George had mentioned, um, it also um, is a way to for people to kind of take that in. And then also describe the situation that you're in without kind of losing it within the hubbub. So I think it's uh, I think it's very helpful, a uh, very helpful device for that reason. And I think to your point, since since so often words are used as propaganda by those who have honed their profession to do that, what part of what we want to do here is to disarm that, is to actually dissect the words and have a conversation about them. Even if we're not the experts, we don't necessarily know we're not the ones writing the dictionary. But at the end of the day, to at least stop and pause and say, here's a word. What does it actually mean? Where does it come from? What are the other possible interpretations? Um, it, it, in a, by bringing that to the forefront, uh, at least in our opinion, it helps kind of, um, bring it down from the power, like uh, help, uh, kind of quantify, I suppose. One of the things that I find quite interesting, like sometimes you hear this word constantly, right? And then for many people, and even myself, don't even quite understand what the word means, but we automatically think bad. Do you understand what I mean? Bad. Like when you hear shocking, and then you're like, what? What was so shocking about that? What was so disturb about it or was just outrageous or all the words that they have used to make it seems to be like, you know, it's, it's like, you're like, what? But there is things that were shocking. There is things that were disturbing. There is things, but it's just on how they choose and when they choose to use these and, words. And not to, exactly. When they choose not to use them. So having said all that, Today's word hopefully will help us understanding um, the subjects that we are about to unbuck, right, and talk about. So, the words for today's service are insecure, influence, power, and desire. So, Charles, can you help me identify what are the meaning of those words, especially insecure? Sure. Well, first of all, I'll just say all four of these words are fairly beefy. Like there's there's a lot of depth here just in terms of um, what those words actually can mean and then how you, depending on how you want to apply them. So to your point, insecure. So for insecure, you also, what that actually means is basically very straightforward, is a deficient in assurance. So in other words, he's beset by fear and anxiety, always felt insecure in a group of strangers, just in terms of how you could apply it. That's basically what it is. You're, you're lacking assurance. Another way is, is basically not highly stable or well-adjusted. So the funny example of this that, uh, that the dictionary gives is an insecure marriage. Mm -hmm. The second definition is not confident or sure. So, again, very strange. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, the example that they give in terms of the usage would be uncertain feeling, somewhat insecure of his reception. Uh, the third is basically not adequately guarded or sustained. So, in this particular thing, it would be an unsafe, insecure investment. So, there's lots of things to say just in terms of your 
messing with Silicon Valley Bank at the moment, but that's just public events. Uh, on number four is basically not firmly fastened or fixed is the fourth. So with that, basically, the way you think about it is shaky, uh, shaky the hinge is loose and insecure. So basically, it's not fixed. It's not fastened. It's not secure. It's not bound. Number five, and finally, is unable to reliably afford or access what is needed to meet one's basic needs. Again, also very interesting. So families that are in insecure housing or ergo, they are at risk of losing their homes. Okay. I just got to say to, to, to Charles's point, all of these words, super, super excited about them because they have so much in them there. There's a lot to unpack that as, as Charles mentioned, I think the one thing I mean, for me, I don't want to even add too much on in- insecure because there's so much that we're going to get into in the rest of the the service. The one thing I will add <clears throat> is that just as a from a from a different dictionary, I think this one is the uh, the Collaborative International Dictionary of English. Um, there are two things that jumped out at me from the, the definition they used: um, not confident of safety or permanence, which I thought was. Uh, Interesting, and it's interesting because it also ties to one of the final parts of the definition they provide, which is apprehensive of danger or loss. And so that idea of the lack of permanence, the fear of loss, uh, I think we'll see how that comes to life. To to find out all these meetings, specifically in the context of what we're going to talk about, it's quite interesting. So let's move on to influence. Sure. So influence, again, quite a few, quite a few numbers here. So the first of which is the power or capacity of causing an effect in an indirect or in intangible ways. So another way to think about it is to sway someone, to be persuasive. Mm -hmm. The second of these is the act or power of producing an effect without apparent exertion of force or direct exercise of command. Can you sort of, you know, sort of define that a little bit better for um, the squads and the the, the listeners and and, and for me specifically? I would like to unpack that. Well, exactly. So a good example of that um, would basically is for someone to actually persuade someone without appearing to do so. Right. Okay. Is what that is. Okay. So again, you're trying to produce an effect without the apparent exertion of that force. Mm, interesting. So you're behind the scenes trying to actually make something happen is what this is. The um, the thing that is interesting is just looking into some of the the academic work that's been done on, on influence. There is a paper that was published in the University of Chicago Press Journals. It is titled On the Meaning of the Term Influence in Historical Studies. It's by W.T. Jones. And to what you were just saying, Charles, um, I'll just kind of jump in and it's a little bit far down from where he started, but he's, it's, he's talking about if people are uh, forced to try to define uh, the term influence, what would they do? He says, most people, if obliged to think about it at all, would probably say that an influence is some sort of cause. Though some might add that an influence is, however, not quite a cause. If anyone did this, he would be correct. The relation 
influence or influenced must differ in a fundamental way from the relation cause and effect. And so to what you were getting at, I think that's an important nuance of influence is certainly a, uh, an exertion over someone else, but it mm-hmm. is not as direct as a, it's not cause and effect. There's other nuances uh, in terms of how it actually manifests itself. Wow. Right. It's without the apparent exertion is the very key phrase. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And so what about power? Oh, should we? We're not done with oh, influence. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, you think we're done with influence? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, my we got, goodness. We got okay. a lot to talk okay. about influence because this, okay. this is a big word. There's a, okay. there's a lot here. Okay. I thought so, too. <laughs> okay. So there's a slightly different uh source <laughs> and this again i feel like even just reading the source just makes me feel like i need to say again that we are not experts <laughs> so please no, we not please everyone who's listening do- well well actually before you even go there because i think i know where you're going it's actually interesting because the very last definition that i have for influence mm-hmm. is and again this is an actual definition so mm-hmm. this is literally what this word means mm-hmm. it's an ethereal fluid held up held to flow from the stars and to affect the actions of humans. What does that mean? Well, that's the first, that's 5A. 5B, in terms of this definition, is the emanation of occult power held to derive from stars. Mm, Interesting. The Zodiac is basically Mm. the most direct way in which you can think about that, how the Zodiac basically influences and helps direct people's lives. That's more or less kind of where that's coming from. But that's... A literal definition. It's not someone like to suppose. So I say that in order to hand that back on to George. <laughs> it is a, it is a good handoff because there's actually there was two things. There's the the direction of of uh, astronomical, <laughs> as, right. as as uh, Charles was just saying that actual etymology. I mean that's that's that definition maybe not high on the list. It's maybe number five, but at the end of the day, that's one's pretty closely tied to where the term comes from mm-hmm. in terms of the the French. Um, but on the other side of it, from a, a slightly different uh, discipline of science, is uh, an article that was – not an article, I suppose, a, a paper that was published in the National Institute of Health's National Library of Medicine. Uh, and it's titled, What Does It Mean to Be Susceptible to Influence? A Brief Primer on Peer Conformity and Deve- Developmental Changes That Affect It. And so I'm not going to read all of this. Um, you'll be happy to know. But I will read a few uh, – select phrases, a few select sentences from the abstract that are uh, it, germane to what we're talking about It today. probably would be, you know, we should put that in the show oh, notes yes, so people yes. can go and read it themselves. Yes, we'll put that, we'll put the whole thing. But uh, these, these particular uh, ideas jumped out at me when I was reading it. It says, uh, peer influence is a twofold process that entails a behavior by an agent of influence that elicits conformity from the target of influence. Susceptibility describes the likelihood that conformity will occur. In some instances, conformity is a product of characteristics of the target of influence. Hmm. Trait-like attributes associated with susceptibility to peer influence include conformity dispositions, social goals, resource acquisition strategies, vulnerabilities, and maturational status. In other instances, conformity is a product of the context in which the target is situated. State-like circumstances associated with susceptibility to peer influence include conditions of uncertainty, personal attributes that differ from the partner or group, perceived benefits of impression management, unmet social needs, 
and social reference and beliefs about their behavior. And so to, to um, stop reading now and go back to just kind of, okay, what did that mean to me, at least in part? There's a lot in that, but the idea that influence is fundamentally uh, a, a a tango of two. <laughs> yeah. There is not; it's not a one-way street. There's there mm-hmm. is a there is an influencer, and there is always a target. That's right. And the way that that influence actually manifests itself is both the result of who the influencer is and their particular ability to influence, as well as who the target is of the influence and how they exist in the world, the conditions with which uh, they live, how they feel about certain things, their attributes, their social goals, their conditions of uncertainty, how they relate to the group around them, if they have their social needs being met or unmet, all of those things contribute to one's ability to be influenced. And it just was like, wow. Wow. <laughs> just actually... It, and it is you, actually really incredible when you yeah, think about it. It's, it is. And it's kind of like when you hear it, you're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. But then it's also so much bigger. <laughs> there's so much more to it than, oh, just the idea that someone can influence someone else. There's a lot that actually contributes to how that yeah. comes to life. Wow. Well, actually, I have one more for you guys because we didn't get a chance to go through all of the um, all of the definitions. But there's one that I think will be very... Um, poignant for is a conversation that from later. Influence it's or from insecure? no, no, no. It's from influence. Mm-hmm. So it is to be. So it is the definition for to be is corrupt interference with authority for personal gain. Wow. Hmm. I hope so. this explanation is is have the pen, <laughs> the paper they are writing because they're gonna. Very soon, understand where we're going with this. So, and I think the one thing you just you just kind of alluded to, uh, Lady Sussex, is that how important the the connection is between the first two words, right? Uh, because that insecurity is one of the, uh, and at least according to the the National Institute of Health, is at least is a, a key uh, factor that is contributes to one's ability to be influenced or, mm-hmm. or be an influencer. Absolutely, absolutely, I, I think so. Should we move to power? Okay, so what about power? This is probably the beefiest one. There's a lot to unpack with power. Uh, Because it can mean a lot of different things. uh, And it also has very deep roots. That's right. So, again, please bear with me. I probably won't go through all of them because it'll just take half the show. So, but the first one is the ability to act... Or produce an effect. Mm-hmm. So I think that's obviously very straightforward. And then again, uh, the second one, which is 1B, is legal or official authority, capacity, or right. Mm-hmm. So again, you have the actual authority to do something. This is something that you control. And that actually leads up very well to the second definition of that, which is 2A, which is the possession of control, authority, or to influence over others. So there's that word again, influence. Right. So, and then again, one having such power specifically is happens to be actually the sovereign state. That is actually what they have specifically. Those sovereign states actually are ones who define power specifically. And then another is what you would think of maybe myself anyway, when someone actually says that to me, the first thing that I think of is very directly is physical might. So basically having the strength to be able to exert your will, Mm -hmm. right? But quite literally, physically. 
Uh, and then you also have another, which is actually mental or moral efficacy, which is another kind of power. Or political control or influence is another. Right. So you have all of these things, which I think is actually very, very interesting. And then we can get into other things, which obviously may not necessarily relate, but it's also kind of funny. Uh, another definition happens to be um, a means to supply energy. Okay. Which is like electricity. That's mm-hmm. actually less power to turn the power on. Right. Yep. So can you add on? Because for me, when yeah. I think of power, the two things that's come up is president, king, queen, those three. <laughs> it does other three. Does other three. Oh, money, money, uh, money, money. They say that yeah. money is power. Yeah. yeah, money is power because you always hear that. So, what you got? Well, I I took a slightly different route because I realized that this was beyond my uh, knowledge ability. So I looked for someone smarter than smarter than probably all of us. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and there is actually a really great uh, paper that was published um, by Arthur Bernstein. Uh, actually titled The Meaning of Power. It's in Philosophy and uh, phenomenal- Phenomenological Research. That's quite the word. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, it was interesting because uh, it struck a slightly different chord in terms of just thinking about what power is. Because I think people, at least myself anyway, frequently think of power as being, oh, wow, there is someone or something that can do something to someone else or something else, right? right. It's the sort of one way I have the ability to, to, to change things. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Arthur actually uh, makes clear that there's a little bit more nuance to it than that. So he writes, the meaning of power uh, begins with that of a source of change, which I think we all agree with. It's like the ability to, right. to change something, right? And he, then he writes, power is free, and meaning unconstrained, it's free to the extent that it is the source of the changes in which it participates. But it is compelled to the extent that other power also determines those changes. So what he said, and then he goes on, he says, power creates not inherently. So it is this force that is a source of change that creates not just in and of itself, not inherently, but actually in confrontation or interaction with another power. And I thought that was like, wow. What's his name again? <laughs> Arthur Bernstein. Arthur Bernstein. And is this idea that, yes, there is power, there is the ability to, to uh, wield influence, right. uh, to do all of these things, but it is also important to always keep in mind that that power does not exist in and of itself. And the source, the changes that it tries to affect, the, the exertion that it tries to manifest in the world, is only only actually comes to life, only manifests itself in confrontation or interaction with other powers. Right. And so right. The, the idea that it is a multipolar uh, landscape. I find all that is really fascinating. Um, so actually one more, one right. more, one more, one of our favorite authors, Michel Foucault, Michel Foucault. We love Michel Foucault. Yes. And what he did, and I think this, this also struck me as just, super relevant to what the conversation today, but also just the whole situation that's going on with the monarchy right now. Um, what he did is he, he challenges the idea that power is wielded by people or groups of people by way of episodic or mm-hmm. sovereign acts of domination or coercion. Mm. Instead, seeing it as dispersed and pervasive. Right. Power is everywhere, comes from everywhere. So in this sense, it is neither an agency nor a structure. And so I think when we've been talking about Okay, you've got the you got the monarchy. Sure, that's power, but that's a little bit more episodic and literally, <laughs> to, to use Foucault's term, sovereign. Right. But on the other hand, what what he's actually saying is that it's not that. It's really this more dispersed and pervasive thing. And what we've been talking about, 
that's dispersed and pervasive. How many headlines do we see every single day? Every single day. Every single day. And that's what he's, that's what he's arguing is power. Wow. Fascinating. The next one is, is it's a very interesting one, unless you, ha- you, you want to add more Charles. No, no. I think uh, the next one is fine. The next and last. It will be desire. Yeah, it's actually very interesting because it, uh, it can actually span quite a few things, even though most people probably think of it specifically in one way. So the first definition that's there is a conscious impulse towards something that promises enjoyment or satisfaction. So that's basically what it is. Desire to have a bag, like the Chanel bag that... <laughs> there it comes that again. Wants. The Chanel bag is back. <laughs> but yes, you desire okay. that bag. A nice pair of shoes, Blonick shoes, of course. Yes, yes. Okay. Good. So that would actually fall under the second definition of desire, which is a longing or craving. Huh. You crave the shoes and bags. Yes, indeed. Okay. Uh, the second, so 2B out of that, is what I, I believe anyone that most people actually associate with this particular word is actually the sexual urge or appetite. So you desire someone else. You desire this particular thing. Uh, and then the third is basically something that is longed or hoped for, which I think is very interesting. Right. That we may talk about and pick up a little bit later on. And then finally, uh, the fourth definition is usually a formal request or petition for some action uh, that the desires one for present, for instance. So you basically make a formal petition for something. Okay. That's actually the last definition of desire. Wow. What you got? Yeah. No, I think that those are, that's all, um, for that last one anyway, I think that people kind of generally have that sense. And, and to Charles's point, there's probably one particular definition that stands out. And I hope that our audience forgives us today because we have belabored the words even more than usual. Um, but there is good reason. It is very important in the context of the the conversation that we're about to have, and it is it is particularly important also in this moment in time, which we failed to mention that we are at for what forty eight days out. Forty eight days. <clears throat> yep. And so these words themselves are particularly important. They're particularly important to the to the show today and to to where we find ourselves. To go back to desire, um, each of those definitions they share this this common thing, and this is actually uh, turning to the Stanford Encyclopedia on Philosophy, an article that was published in 2009, updated in 2015. And again, just some, some, not the full thing, but just some ideas from it. It says, to desire is to be in a particular state of mind. It is a state of mind familiar to everyone who's mm-hmm. ever wanted to drink water or desire to know what happened to an old friend, but its familiarity does not make it easy to, to understand it theoretically, right? right? That's what they say. And then kind of jumping down a bit, they say, Desiring is a state of mind that is commonly associated with a number of different effects. A person with desire tends to act in certain ways, feel in certain ways, and think in certain ways. And so what struck me is that, yes, desire can manifest itself in any number of ways, whether it's uh, as it relates to your partner or to wanting a new new Chanel bag. There's all these different ways that we can desire certain things, but perhaps the thing that we've overlook is that it is a state of mind that then influences the rest of our behavior and how we actually go about acting. And so thinking about what does it mean if you desire something, not just the fact that you want that, but how does the fact that you wanting that, how does the, how does that 
mental state manifests itself in other aspects of your life. Interesting. So, I guess no more. Are we done? We're going to move on. <laughs> We've tortured on them to enough. That. Okay. <laughs> wow. That was heavy. I'm sure Sussex Red Nation probably say, what the heck is going on? <laughs> and Lady Sussex. This is not the show Sussex, we're used to. <laughs> <laughs> are we in church or are we in school? So, Sussex Red Nation, what, what, what I wanted to do with the service today, it's after we went through for two weeks looking at who that lady is, I'm not so sure we got everything. We know what she stands for, what she has done. And so we walk you through guys what we think that probably um, is problematic, you know, for us. And we, I feel like I was exhausted and, and, and I still really want to know more because I, don't, I still don't feel like I have a sense of who she is. But so I think, I wanted to move a different direction to look at Charles. And I started realizing that, you know what? Wow. Besides being the father of, you know, Harry and Williams and the ex-husband of Lady Diana, I don't, I didn't know much. And so I wanted to know who is this man? Because for me, I feel like the first time I truly really was introduced to Charles was when he was kindly walk Megan through the altar to meet Harry and remember when Harry says things that Pap I think it was Pops he used. Thank you, Pap. And so I wanted to have an understanding. Who was this man that actually did that? But who was this man that who also allowed that same woman that she walked to the altar to be crucified to a point where she just didn't want to be here? I wanted to have an understanding who is this man that based on my research, because I wasn't there maybe around that time, the man that who, 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 who seems to hold both of his son after the passing of the mother and yet could not be here present for his son through everything that he was going through and still going through, whether it's in the media, whether it's personal. I wanted to have an understanding. Who is this man that was allowed his grandkids and his son, the same woman that he walked to the altar without the safety of security? As I was doing on my research, you know, for the service this Sunday, I come across of uh, a documentary that was done by Timeline. And I believe it's a downfall. Prince Charles' Prince Charles downfall, downfall in, the British, in the British media. The madness of Prince Charles. And the madness of Prince Charles. And it was really a very interesting one. And I think it started making me think what happened to this man based on from the documentary, right? 
we have at one point when he was Prince of Wales, you know, some people call him genius. Some people say that, you know, he was ahead of his time. But this man that I was looking at, at least for myself, I find him funny. I find him somewhat confident. I find him very insecure at times. But there was something sad. And it left me with looking at all the words that we just went through. I feel like in some ways explain maybe perhaps who he is. So that was my taking away. And I find empathy. But mad, sad. And I'm going to say this. For whatever the reason, if you guys have a chance to look at um, this wonderful, um, I think it was really well done from timeline, whether all of it is true or not, I don't know. But, you know, I'm just judging from what was presenting. I feel like this man had been a silence prince. He had been silent. Because if you're looking at everything that he used to enjoy talk about and what he had to say, it seems like he had a lot to say. He had a lot going on. And for the last couple of years, really, I, I, I don't think I even remember a speech from this guy beside here and there, but I don't, nothing stick, nothing that I remember. So what was your guys' takeaway? I'll jump first. So just to your point about not necessarily remembering what he says, I think what you mean is, is that he hasn't given any particular opinion of anything. Correct. He's been there. He goes to his events. He's a very busy guy. He's always everywhere. But he doesn't say anything of substance. and certainly nothing that he actually means and stands for Oh, himself. nothing that's reported. Yeah. He just shows up. You know, cuts a ribbon and then leaves. That's basically what this dude's job is. But anyway, in terms of my opinion on, on the film and kind of – and then also kind of my feelings about him, just to go in a little bit more depth, um, such as Lady Sussex just did. Before I watched it and before all this, um, my impression of him is that I actually didn't like him. Mm -hmm. I didn't like him because of how, how he, I thought he did Diana Dirty. I thought yeah. that I thought the whole situation was basically his fault, and I was like, you and know I what? still do. Yeah, I and, still and do. I and I was like, you know what? This guy's kind of a kind of a punk. I don't really right. want to deal with this guy. Um, he shouldn't have treated her the way that he did. And so that's kind of how I always thought of him. I was like, all right, whatever. Just more or less, kind of dismissed it about the whole thing, and felt felt annoyed. After watching the film, the one word I can say that sums up how I feel about him now is pity. Mm -hmm. I pity this man. He grew up in such a broken environment. And I had assumed that just generally. I mean, that's probably a very strange way to grow up. 
but in actually listening to the documentary and, you know, learning a little bit more about it, I mean, the dude was completely by himself. I mean, his, you know, the queen and Philip were off doing their job and they were very busy. The dude was completely alone for his second and third birthday. Like, talk about your formative years. With his nanny, of course. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's basically, she was pushing him around. I mean, I mean, the feelings of, ab- of abandonment must have been huge. Like, he must right. have just felt that he was just, like, dropped off on the doorstep and just, like, checked out. And that can't be good. And then when you see it, I think there's a certain pattern that kind of just persists, that he's always looking for approval. And then, you know, well, I won't go into the whole thing because I got to talk about this forever. But the no. point is that the, 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 the main takeaway that I got is that he's a funny guy. He tries to be funny. He actually has an opinion. He actually has a sense of humor. Um, and I think that in his own way, in his own mind, that he tries to actually be somewhat decent. But he is so selfish in that he can't actually move past his own desire that he actually doesn't know how to actually interact and take care of someone. And I think that's basically, and that's why I find it so sad. Someone who actually has probably is actually a fairly decent guy, but has absolutely no idea what to do with it, has absolutely no idea what to, how to apply it or take care of anyone else other than himself. I think we should let the audience um, at least look at one clip just to get him, them involved in what it is that, you know, we're talking about. And then we'll move on to you, George, um, to sort of add on um, to what we're talking about. The best parents praise and love and acknowledge and support and care for their child, which gives the child the ability to reach their potential. A heavy program of official engagements prevents the princess and the duke from seeing their son as often as they wish. Psychologists claim the first five years of a child's life can make or break. But Charles's parents were very young and very busy. There's no doubt the Queen adores Charles and he adores her. But the Queen is a strange woman. She is not enormously tactile. When he was a baby, she would bath him and she would sit him on her knee and she'd read him stories. But I, I think there's very little sort of evidence that, that as he grew older, she kept up that, that, um, the, 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 the holding and the, and the touching. Um, she's really a woman who I think is much more comfortable with, with animals. Yeah, for me, I, I would say, uh, and I... Not going to claim to represent any group, but I, as a an American millennial, didn't have any any awareness whatsoever of Charles up until the Crown. And after having I, after having watched this documentary, comparing it to the Crown, I would say actually to to what Charles was just speaking to, I think the the Crown was probably even uh, painted the, his formative years as a child uh, in a more um, positive, uh, appearing to be healthy light, even more so than the reality. The reality was even worse than it appeared in The Crown, and The Crown didn't didn't look great either. Um, to what Charles was saying, my my the big thing that I take away from it is that he probably isn't fundamentally a bad person. 
he's probably not inherently a bad person. But when you look at the arc of his life, from literally being born through probably around the time when uh, his great uncle his great uncle passed, and I know we're going to talk about that. But if you look through that full timeline, that those circumstances and those forces around him and those events seemed pretty clear, in at least in my mind, to create a perfect storm that would result in this man being so completely insecure as to be able to be influenced by basically anyone or anything. And he was completely vulnerable to anyone who had that ability to go and say, here's a bit of reassurance for you. I'm going to tell you that your thoughts are valid. I'm going to tell you that I'm going to tell you what you want to hear. And, and as a result, be able to basically control you. And I think to Charles's point, there's a lot of pity that one feels for that. You know, it, it's almost like it's not enough to, to, to excuse the shortcomings, the failures, especially as what you were just talking about before. Um, I don't know if it was in the show or if it was before, before the show of just how he's really truly failed Harry and Harry's family and his grandkids and his daughter-in-law. Um, but when you look at this history of how did he come to be who he is, especially his youth, you can see that he is honestly, most of what's happened to him has probably been the result of how he's been manipulated, how he's been influenced because of that insecurity, because of that fear of loss, because of that apprehension of, of a lack of permanence. But at the same time, I know right now, at least to the beginning, what we try to say, it looks like as if like we're defending his action, action, we are defending, you know, who he is as a person, as a man. And I hope this is not the takeaway because that's not what we're doing. But we want to have like an understanding of that mindset who, you know, spite of it all. How did we get here? How do we can have like a man that was so, uh, at least for me and my opinion, that was so heartfelt when he walks her to the altar. But at the same token, I'm looking at exactly that same man that we did that. The same man that Harry told us that, you know, who choose or have choosing the choir. You know, I mean, anybody that, you know, who's been listening to us knows that, you know, how we feel about gospel and that man know enough to, you know, to be able to be helpful. You know what I mean? So like, like I wanted to have that understanding. I wanted to know where is that coming from? Well, and, and, to and your, why? And to your point, I think that we're not coming at this certainly from a point of saying, oh, he should be defended or, oh, he should be attacked because that's not really what it's about. It, it's the same idea of saying it's bigger than when we say it's bigger than Megan and Harry. It's it's really this we're talking about Charles right now, but at the end of the day, it's bigger than Charles because this man is about to ascend the throne. Correct. <laughs> He's about to be the king, and so to understand who is he and how does he work and what what makes him tick, and if the fact of the matter mindset. is, mindset, if the fact of the matter is that he can just be so easily influenced because he is so drastically insecure, what does that mean to have a king that? that is uh, is operating like that. But is he already been so influenced that, you know, he's numb, which is what that leave him sort of in a place where he couldn't defend his own son, his own daughter-in-law. Because, I mean, if you think about it, the name of the documentary is what? It's the downfall. The downfall. You know, why would the media, why is it a downfall? 
Was it because the thing that he was talking about didn't like, even though it's sort of out there? I get it. But that's one's opinion, right? It's, it's a discussion whether you, you believe on those things that he's saying, like, for example, how he looked at faith, right? Then he talks about um, modern development of architectures, right? He has ideas and opinion on that. And he talks about medicine, you know, sort of, I, I, I suppose, you know, one can say, okay, I think he's a little bit too far to be talking about the fact that, you know, coffee anima can treat cancer. So, but, but where did he get that from? You know, who was that guy that who has the, I guess, what would you call, um, the power, so to speak, maybe he was testing his power to be able to have that kind of conversation. That's very out of the box, very sort of, you know, I mean, progressive, so to speak. Is this man still exists or not? Well, I think just to just to get there, I think you have to kind of back up a little bit just in terms of, OK, how did he develop into this man? Like what took, what took him to this road, right? So how did he kind of get there? And what was interesting is basically, again, another thing that I didn't necessarily know is apparently he was a very lonely dude because people basically, he, you know, Philip sent him off to school when he was 13 and basically sent him over to a board, to a boarding school, totally alone. Well, no he wanted, was, he was no, a very yeah, insecure. Yeah, no one, no kid one to that talk he to wanted to have like a man, man, but he know he's a very yeah. sort of insecure. Um, yeah, yeah. He's not yeah. that. He's just not that. That's just not his personality, which is yeah. whatever. But the, the fact is that no one wanted to talk to the guy. So, you know, no friends. You're basically stick out like a sore thumb everywhere. All eyes are on you globally, quite literally. And so, of course, you're going to start feeling insecure about yourself when you don't have anyone to actually help you through that kind of time. And it just goes and continues and continues and continues. And so what you're left up with is that, you know, you actually get to the situation to where he starts to seek approval. He starts to seek, okay, well, all right, so I feel really bad about myself. No one really wants to talk to me. So, you know, I'm looking for anybody to grab on to say that, you know what, you're going to be okay. So he looks for that comfort. Right. And then he also looks for approval. Because it seems that obviously he comes from a very, you know, well-known family. His mother and father are very, very powerful and influential, but he's still grasping for that sense of approval, which, you know, whoever actually gives him these things, it's that potent cocktail that, um, that George had mentioned before of basically being able to feed that to him that is going to basically start that influence. If you can actually give him what he's looking for, he's going to basically provide you what it is that you're looking for. It's that feedback system. So if you can basically say that, you know what, you're the best thing in the world and you know what, you're doing a great job. Well, thank you. You know what? I believe you and I'm therefore I'm going to believe everything you have to say because now my entire personality rests on your approval. That is so interesting. And, and there's a clip that I would like to, um, you know, the, the, the squad to, to listen. It's, it's, it's that setting. The fact is, is that, you know what, this is what Diana didn't do because Diana didn't get it, right? I mean, she was a kid and she couldn't give him that. And so. I don't even know. Like, I, I disagree with that. I, th- I, don't I think, I think it's we that, should let. I don't think it's that she couldn't give it to him. I think that the, it takes a certain kind of person to come at it from 
with a desire, honestly, to manipulate and to take advantage of that person, to take advantage of his insecurity to, to influence him. And so I think it's not that Diana, in my, at least in my opinion, after having watched the documentary, and I think there's one, one guy, one commentator who makes this comment about how she was a- acting deliberately maliciously toward him. And I think that that is completely misses the reality of it is that Diana simply wanted to be, she wanted to, to, to live and to live in love and to be a positive force in the world in her own right. And in, in relation with Charles. And it wasn't that she was saying, Oh, here, I'm going to baby you and hold your hand and try to make you feel, spend all my time trying to make you feel valued. I'm just going to value you, you know? And so it wasn't that it's not that she didn't, she wasn't able to do something that she was, she was missing a, a, a critical part. It was that it's very different where Diana was living in a place of sort of honesty for lack well, of a I'm better with word. You. I'm with you with that. But this is, as you, we just listening, right? This is what they say. This is what they think, you know, sort of, I mean, for me, when you looked at what you talk about influencing, right? And what does that mean? How did that manifest itself in his life? So now we walked in and to who are those two people that have impact his life the most? And I would not say that was, you know, his mother. And I would not say that was Philip. I think it's those two men, which, you know, one is, um, oh God, what is his name? Guys? Lauren Vanderpost. Lauren's Lauren Vanderpost. And then we have a Mountbatten. 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 But before that, actually, I wanted to actually get back to something that George said, if you wouldn't mind. So in terms of how I understand the relationship and, and why I think they didn't necessarily get along between Charles and, and Diana, I agree with both of you, actually. It's not the fact that she couldn't give what Charles was seeking because Charles was seeking reassurement. Mm-hmm. I think what it was is the fact that she was a child. Like she was a very, very young woman. And obviously they, you know, everyone's claiming she was a virgin and this and that. Yes, it's all true. But she was very inexperienced. And so I don't think she was mature enough to be able to recognize what it is her husband was actually needs. And then be able to provide that. I think to your point, she was a child who grew up in a, in a, in a healthy way. Charles was a child who did not. And so she didn't know how to actually help support that. And so she was just being her best to, 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 to live her life as a person and do her best to, 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 to love her husband, but not necessarily recognizing the needs of her husband because she, she doesn't have that life experience yet. But my opinion is even if she was able to do that, I don't know if that would make a difference because as we're looking at the manipulation that have happened or that went on, or at least in our own interpretation of things, not that we know for sure that's what exactly happened, but how we interpreted things here that had set the stage for anything Anybody that had come into Charles' life to fail. So, I think that's. I think you're exactly right that it, it, anybody to fail. But I think there's also on top of that, there's two other two other dynamics. Right? There's the fact that Diana was truly incredible. Right? In terms absolutely. of who she was, that she was 
stunningly beautiful, that she was amazing with people, that she had an, an amazing heart and, and the work that she was doing. She was great, right? And when you have someone who's feeling insecure and they're looking at someone who is great, sometimes they lose sight of their what they can be themselves. Mm-hmm. And focus so much on that other person that it actually exacerbates that insecurity. And so it's not even that she was doing anything negative or not doing something. It's just the the when you have someone who had been so damaged by his parents' failures in terms of raising him to leave him that insecure, what that meant for whoever it was, whether it was Diana or anyone else, to your point. But on top of that, it's also something that's when there is someone who is that insecure and it is by, is recognized by people who want to exert influence over that person because they hold power, they are born into a position of privilege. People who want to manipulate, who people who don't have the best intentions, people who are, are are acting out of self-interest for with their own agenda, they can undermine the existing positive relationships that they may have. And I think that's exactly what happened. Well, you know, you bought this and, I think watching the um, documentary, and if any one of you watch it, you you probably will find that part to be very upsetting as much as it was for me. It was from um, this gentleman, I think he's one of the biographer. And so let me let you guys listen to this because that was quite upsetting to me. And it's back to what it is that you just now just mentioned. Uh, the only thing you could say at that stage that was tasteful was a huge weight had been lifted from his shoulders in the sense that she was not around anymore to snipe from the wings, to wipe him off the front pages by changing her hairstyle or wearing a new hat, and to generally discombobulate his life, which she would certainly have continued to do with some relish, I think. For me, I find that quite upsetting. The fact that, you know what, for him to saying that a year, you know, sort of now he can go on, he could do this, he could do that, because that, you know, he doesn't have to worry about her. Like, that was quite upsetting. Because we're talking about the mother of his child. We, 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 Shows a real lack of humanity. I mean, it's like... To me, there was something heartless about this statement that leave me really, really, really upset. Well, I think you said it. It was heartless. It was tasteless and heartless. So. Okay. I think you're just feeling what any normal person would do, honestly. And again, it's back to what you just say. And so now, when, when, how should we understand those two men and the impact that they have on Charles' life, that maybe perhaps why today he is the man that he is today. Well, there's, or there's, if he is at all. There's one thing that that particularly jumped out. I know we were we were talking about this before. Is that is Lord Mountbatten? Um, it's pretty clear when you look at it, even the little. That was bit, his great uncle. His great uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty clear when you look at the documentary that he had his own agenda. And he was not like he was hiding it. I mean, he even, you you see the parallels between Lord Mountbatten and what's going on with Charles today is that what he was trying to do was to uh, influence Charles to be able to get power for his descendants, Hmm. Lord Mountbatten's descendants. It was his uh, niece, I think, if I remember. Granddaughter. 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 It was his granddaughter. So it was he, he had an agenda. He was working self interestedly, but it wasn't for his own gain. It was for the gain of of. We should uh, his let them child. listen to that. 
to that part. I think it's fascinating. As Charles neared 30, he was under more and more pressure to marry from his father and Lord Mountbatten. He had prescribed for Prince Charles that after a period of sowing his wild oats, he should find a beautiful, sympathetic, suitable English girl who had got no previous entanglements. Mountbatten was extremely keen that Prince Charles should marry his granddaughter, Amanda Natchball. Um, who was a particularly charming, intelligent and attractive girl and would have made an absolute smashing queen. Mountbatten almost brought it off, I think. And so you see, it's, it's Lord Mountbatten was doing that at that point. And when you look at what's happening today with who Charles is married to and how things seem to be shaping up from what we talked about the last two weeks... That seems like the exact same thing. Someone's got an agenda. They're influencing Charles, trying to get power for their own descendants. You know how influence and manipulation work on insecure people, which you guys, you know, sort of describe earlier and how you can actually really gain power from that. That's how I'm looking at it. And yet that can be wrapped into some type of desiring because obviously this woman was providing, doing something. I mean, if you have to go by the tape, what he wanted to be, you know, I don't want to say the word here in church, but you all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but yeah, but even, even with but, that, even with that, think about even in the documentary, they're talking about how Charles was the most eligible bachelor in England for so long. And he had all of these uh, these women that that wanted to to be with him. And one of them was posing for whatever Play, that... Um, penthouse. 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 And so to, to compare that to where he is now, he's still... You could view it as, as the fact that the comparison to her with Diana and him feeling as insecure as he felt... It was someone who was not going to shine as bright. That is not going to make him feel as insecure. That's going but to make him feel think, more comfortable. Do you think it's fair to say this woman understand that? He un she understand who are these people on his life? What exactly that he need and keep feeding that? Because that's going to lead me to something that happened just like a couple of days ago. That's a fair speculation. I think that's maybe even more than that. I think it's more than fair. I think it's probable. I think that she knows exactly what she was doing. Because again, that leads me to how do you explain this? I'll let you guys watch this and then we'll come back on the other side. Okay, so now we have Prince of Wealth that who become king, who's been waiting for such a long time to be king, 
who is his first time actually attending this service as king. And yet, his wife, his consult, the queen consult, broke probably the best, the, the, the biggest protocol that ever, if there was, if, if this really exists, the so-called protocol. And what I, what I've tried to understand here, where was the press into that protocol breaking? Like, did anybody see anything? Sussex Squad Nation, have you seen something? Is there something that I'm missing in the reporting? Because I remember and recall very well, and I'm sure all of us did, that was literally daily we are bombarded. The fact is that, you know what, um, Megan was breaking protocol, you know, for just wearing um, black nail polish. She was breaking protocol because she didn't wear pantyhose. She was, you know, sort of breaking protocol on like almost, you know, for wearing like, you know, one shoulder you know, dress, even though everyone else, Diana and, 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 and William's wife did before, like, like it was like one after another. And now we have this woman and based on everything that we hear, who demand that, you know, after the coronation to call queen to walk in front of the king. And they did not only walk in front of the king and couldn't even be bothered to even stay for a minute or two to look at these indigenous people that were there to perform for them. And I know what some of you may say, well, Lady Sussex, it was quite windy. It was kind of, you know, sort of like, you know what, come on now, you know, the woman, well, She's going to be queen. And that is a part of the protocol to be behind the king. I've never seen Philip. I've never seen Philip walk in front of the queen at no time. In fact, from what I understand is, is that, you know, one of his problem early on is that the idea that, you know, he will always walk behind the queen. But he seems like he settled very well into that because that, that was what it was. Unless somebody knows something different than I know, like I've never seen him done that. And yet for the first time, Charles is entering the church as a king in a very special day of commonwealth. And that woman just... Go right, right in front of him. As if like it was nothing. I don't understand it. Is there any other way that I should see it? Is that a sign of what we've been talking about? Is that a sign of who's in charge and who will be in charge? And that it does no matter about the Commonwealth. Are we seeing a sign very early on, although it's been speculation from us here? Are we getting that sign very quickly? So please walk me away from, from the edge, please. 
No, I don't think I think that's exactly it. And I think more, even not maybe more importantly, but in addition to that is what we were talking about at the beginning of the service is that words have power both when they are used and when they are not used. And so the fact that the press is not going bonkers about that break in an even more important protocol than all the other nonsense that they spend more time focusing on shows you not, not just complicity, but perhaps coordination, collusion with that that demonstration of who's truly in charge and what the priorities are. Charles. No, I agree completely. I think it's absolutely intentional. If they're going to call out people for wearing the wrong nail color, they can certainly, I mean, this is not to your point, Lady Sussex. This wasn't a small breach. It was a huge breach of protocol. And, you know, and it's not even just protocol for, you know, royalty. It's, I mean, even when you start talking about, you know, presidents, like who's always the first out the door? You know, when they get out of the airplane or the first inside a place, it's always the lead. It's what it's meant to be. It's it's, what a, it's a signal of respect and it's also a signal of, okay, well, who's really important? And I think, that, me, I think it probably was stayed true. I love all the protocols. It's one that I understand. And why do I understand it? Because... You know, you don't have to be British. You don't have to be king and queens. If there's one thing that, you know, we know whether it's in school, whether it's sort of, you know, even going to court, right? I assume the judge show up and everybody stand up. You remove your hat and stuff like that, whatever the case is. And so I understand it. But for me, it was such a disrespectful. If there was anything, because I've heard so many times how much, you know, sort of, you know, the Duchess, Megan, being disrespectful to the Queen, disrespectful to, you know, the protocol and, and sort of, you know, uh, um, waking up people at five o'clock in the morning, sending email, all of those nonsense garbage. If there was one to be talking about, to try to understand the meaning of it, is this one. Because it wasn't like almost like a full path. There's no way I can, because for me, it's almost like for as long I've been looking at this since, you know, Megan was around, you know, of the Commonwealth. Like, it seems like every Commonwealth, there's, it's always been windy. Right? It's not like she didn't know it was windy. I mean... This is what his, this is what bothers me because that was his first time entering the church as king. Do you guys, do you guys have me? Do you guys understand what I am saying? I know a lot of the, you know, Sussex Road Nation, we saw it, we see it and everything. But I don't know if he was looking at in that kind of lens. It has a lot of symbolic value. It's not you. You you can't. We do that. You can't. No, we make that moment for him because it happened. So I want to know how do we interpret that? How do we see that? Because when you looked at what was going on in the street. When you're looking at all the pro protests, when you're looking at that, you know what, everything that the press choose not to talk about, and I still don't understand why, 
I'm wondering who they are protecting. Because it doesn't even seem like they are protecting Charles at all. That is my question. And I feel like we are moving to a new territory. And I don't really get it. I don't really understand it. But I know we cannot be afraid. We can't. We have to continue asking questions. Because it matters. And so... We're going to take a break, but before we do that, before we move to our first song, is there any verse that can sort of lead us to, you know, the Bible to let us having some kind of understanding how we should? Well, I I got two for you, actually, because I think both are actually pertinent at this particular point. So, the first one I got is from Proverbs. It's nineteen, chapter 19, verse 2. So, desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Hmm. Which I think is pretty poignant at the moment. Good advice for Charles. Indeed. And then I have another. And this actually relates a little bit um, further back in the discussion, but... It's Luke chapter 20, verse 20. Keeping, keep a, keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something that he said so that they might hand him over to the proper power and authority. So again, also something that's interesting, having these people come. People who smile in your face and mean something completely different. Those who are trying to influence you and and gain your power and authority. I feel like we are moving in a scary time, but yet we cannot afford to be afraid. And I think this piece of music, it's one that dearly it means a lot for my mother and for my mother to you guys. I hope you guys are enjoying it because we can't allow fear to make us not being able to move forward. So we'll take a break and we'll come back to close out the show. You shall cross the barren desert, but you shall not die of thirst. You shall wander for safety, though you do not know the way. You shall speak your words. To foreign lands And all will understand 
shall see the face of God and live. Be not afraid. I Trust in the Lord. God is with you. Fear is not an option. Pray without ceasing. Don't lose hope, guys. I trust in you. Be not afraid. And I will give you rest. So, um, you guys have no idea how much I listen to this piece of music and what it means to me. And um, I was listening to it and listen to it. Um, it means a lot. And I think more so because it's one of my mother's favorite. Um, but it feels like, you know what, we are afraid. Especially when you listen to... Sussex Squad Nation, how worry, how concerned that you know we are for Harry. Rightfully so. And um, what does that mean for him to be going or not going to the coronation? And so for me, it's just like, it's a very stressful thing, but it's one that, you know, I come to turn that I don't think he have any choice because for once, this is his father, right? And there is an importance for both sons to be there. And what would that mean 
for Harry, who, spat of it all, spat of everything that we come to know now, that we know he loved his father. And I also know that him not being there will be a huge problem. And him, he's, you know, going there, always going to be something that they can hide behind in camouflage because it will be all about them. I mean, build build on it with what we've just been talking about, what we watched from the documentary, what seems to be true, is with Charles to be that man that he is, to have, have been to become the man that he currently is today, as insecure as he is, as surrounded by sycophants and, and influencers as he is, he he would need his his sons his there. sons there. But what I do continue believe and choose to have faith on Harry and knowing what he knows, knowing what he has done so far in terms of protecting his family I feel like, you know, he knows what he's doing. And I I believe that his family will always take the center stage and, and will be that will be first in his mind. But that doesn't mean the evil is not watching. That doesn't mean the evil cannot manifest itself. And I think it's a very tough situation that he's in. I think our job as the soldiers that, you know, we are, we have become. I think it is important that we understand as much we want him to be safe, yes, and we're going to pray day, night, out. We're going to have our eyes open. But it's one of those situations at the end of the day, regardless what they may say, he's still a prince. He's still of that family. And that is his father. That is the grandfather of his, his, his son and daughter. That who are now officially have the title of princess and prince. And his wife is a princess. And the absence not being there. I don't know what I don't know what that would do. I hope you guys are with me with that. But I, I also know that you know what? He's not going to put his family jeopardize his family's safety and if he choose not to go obviously we will support him but i also know that you know he will make it very clear why he wasn't there because that will be i mean it, it, it it's probably like no deal for him if he could not secure his family's safety because we know the media are going to be what they're going to do you know, we know the family that who is so mad and pissed off at him that I don't know for what. It's mad for, but they're going to do what they're going to do. And they're all going to look as bad as they always have been. Because they keep trying and try and try and try. And they keep failing and failing and failing. 
And that will continue to happen. But for me, it's about his safety, his kids, and his wife. My take on it is I think he will go. And I think he will go, to your point, confident in his decision, knowing that the first order of priority was protecting himself and his family. But I think he'll also go because he does genuinely want to be a positive force in the world. And I think the... Reality is, it's not meant to be a, an additional stress on the rest of the Sussex squad. But to go back to the word, one of the words from the beginning uh, of the service today is that idea of power and understanding it not as this um, isolated, episodic, sovereign act, but really power being this sort of dispersed and pervasive manifestation is that we have to expect that it's going to continue the 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 forces of evil who are fighting against him whether it's the media or these other forces behind it and that that power that's fighting against harry and wants bad that wants evil things to happen to harry and his family that that needs to be matched and overcome by the same pervasive and dispersed power of of Harry and Meghan and the Sussex squad. Yeah, because the way I look at it, it's, it's, it's feel constantly, it's a war against the Sussex. It's a war that of doing goods. And the thing, to, to your point, it's a, it's a war that, that they was declared on. Harry and Meghan. Exactly. It's not something they they wanted. They want, not, all they wanted to do was good. It's and to then do they good, got and they continue doing them. good. So, I think that's what's so important. Why we have this? We form this Sunday service. I wanted to have like a safe place. I wanted to. Make sure that you know what we have God in our present. I wanted you to have a place where we can think higher, we can think bigger, we can come to a place, whatever it is that you believe, whatever that you know you feel, that it is a place where you can actually really think and where you can analyze things. And for me, it's God. And I'm praying hard. I'm praying every day. And we have to stand, stand strong, stand firm. Know what I, what is at stake here. When you looked at the work that they are doing, when you see the people that has been affected by the work, even something simple as the young mothers that going through bad time, something that I didn't even know about. What does that mean to so many women? The cookbook, the mental health issues, Santa Bali. I mean, I can go on and on and on. 
And we have infectors. We are not here supporting Megan and Harry because somehow we think they are God. We think that they are perfect people. This is not what this is about. This is not what we're supporting. What we actually supporting, it's having that understanding that, you know what, we need leaders. We need people that will have that kind of platform, that kind of reach out to affect the people that we hear unable to reach out, unable to do those things. And that's what we are here. And it's at a great risk at, at them and their family because they didn't have to. They didn't have to. So why is the war? I don't know. But I think this is where we'll leave it for today's service as we move on to our last prayer, our last verse, Josh. Please. I think these verses are important to really think about in the context of the upcoming coronation. Because as bad as it has been for the last however many years it's been, I think it's safe to assume that as that date approaches, it will only get worse in a lot of ways. <clears throat> and so I think these will be helpful for us all to keep in mind. And so the first, and there's three, the first of the three is uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it's verse 3 through 5. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The second one is from Peter, chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. And the last one is submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's James chapter 4, verse 7. Amen. So as we closing, thank you so much, um, Josh. That was beautiful again. Um, I think they have declared war on the Sussex. And I think as soldiers, we'll stand firm. We'll take everything that they give us and we'll turn it into good. We will turn it into good as we have demonstrating thus far. Whether it's the fundraisers that the squads have done. I don't know any royals supporters have ever done what we have done. Whether it's what Harry and Meghan continue doing. Spite of everything that's throwing at them. And this is how we're going to win the war. is by turning everything that they threw at us into good. So, game's on. 
we already in the name of God in the name of Jesus we already let's make some good in the world let's make it happen amen happy sunday guys please stay safe take care of your mental health Control. I got Satan on my trail, but I'm singing all is well. He's attacking every day, but I'm watching while I pray. No matter the attack, I won't turn back. Cause this means war. This means this means war. This means this means war. You can't.
You can't.